witnesses, entrust these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service. Hold on, we're getting there. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not in prison. Amen. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may also, so they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. This is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Lord, we thank you again for the reading of your word. And if that's all we did was stand here today and read your word and I didn't preach, we'd probably be a lot better off. So Lord, I just pray that your word, not my word, would convict hearts this morning that uh, on just ways that we can be faithful and run this, this relay race of faith. And, and Father, I just pray that you would help me to apply this message to my hearers and just be with us, Lord. It's in Christ's name, amen. So uh, my first point in this, though, is to be faithful in discipleship. And so as we look here in chapter 2, verse 1, uh, we, we see that, that Paul starts off with this verse here. So look with me there. You therefore, my son. And so this is the mark of true discipleship. It's a relationship that bonds closer than friendship. You know, discipleship knits hearts together. It creates spiritual kinship. It creates this, um, this relationship between... Um, like a man and, and another man that's kind of like a father-son relationship or a, a woman and another lady that's like a mother-daughter relationship. Uh, we become close together. Maybe we're like brothers or maybe we're like sisters. Um, and, and so it creates this relationship that's unmistakable. And that's what we look at with Paul and Timothy is that they have this relationship of a father and a son. He calls him his spiritual son. It's his son in the faith. He also, uh, he also talks to Titus in the same way. Uh, so it's these people that Paul has invested in um, and that Paul has taught doctrine. These men that, that are like his children to him. So we, those that we, uh, we help those younger in the faith to grow in Christianity. We, we teach them to walk. We teach them to talk. We teach them to finally start to eat solid food, right? It, it's, just like, it's just like a little baby from the time that we have it. It's crawling on the ground. It's defiling itself in diapers. It can't eat solid food. We're teaching it how to walk. We're cleaning it up. We're giving it meat. It's learning to run. It's learning to take off. It's learning then to, to raise its own family. That's the picture of discipleship that I want you guys to kind of have in your mind other than the relay race is that it's like raising children. Some of y'all are really good at that, you know. I got no idea what I'm doing, so we'll figure it out along the way, right? So I want you to notice this, though, that, that Paul wrote the, wrote the words, you therefore. So we've got to ask ourselves, what is the therefore, therefore? Every time you come to a text and when you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, it always points back to something previous, right? So we have to ask ourselves, what is the therefore, therefore? And we have to read a different, cha- a different section of Scripture that will show us. So in chapter 1, verse 15, it says, You are aware of the fact that all those who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Philegius and Hermogies. Uh, and so these people had abandoned Paul in his time of need. 
Many had proven to be unfaithful to the gospel. They'd only, uh, they had only proven that they were unfaithful runners who failed to pass the baton. So Paul was also kind of worried about his son in the faith, Timothy, here. Uh, and, that's, and that's a good um, reason why he wrote this epistle, was he was worried that Timothy was wavering. He was worried that Timothy was shaking in the faith. Big, bold, strong Timothy that we read about in the scriptures, Paul was worried about. Everybody else was abandoning him. Paul looked at his current situation and thought that it would scare Timothy to death and that he might flake out. So he wrote this to encourage him. He wrote this to strengthen him, right? And so this is during Paul's second imprisonment. This isn't the first imprisonment where he wrote Philippians, Colossians, um, Philemon, and things like that, where he's in his own rented house. This is a second imprisonment where he's in a deep, dark dungeon, right? Like he's in jail for real. He's not under house arrest. He's really in jail, uh, and he's getting ready to die. At this point in his life, he's not going to make it out. He wants to see Timothy one last time. He even asks him for the section, or for, for uh, I think it was a cloak in scriptures, he, and for his notes so he can continue to keep doing what he was doing, right? Until the day that he died. So Paul instructs Timothy here in verse 1 to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul reminds Timothy to stand strong in the one thing that saved you and the one thing that's able to keep you. No matter the storms, no matter the trials, it's the grace of Jesus Christ that's able to keep us and make us strong, right? So be strong in what? Be strong in the grace of Christ. Don't be strong in yourself. Don't be strong, uh, those of you that are in the men's house or the women's house. Don't be strong in Sherry Lechner. Don't be strong in Rick Lechner. Be strong in the grace of Christ. Those are just examples to follow. They're not your, don't idolize them. Don't make them your hero. That's wrong, okay? And so in, in verse two, we see this. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. So Paul's drawing Timothy back to all the things that he's taught him over the years. I really kind of want you guys to take your hat off and put on your first century Jewish hat. And I really want you to kind of understand the background, the context of what's going on here. Put yourself in Paul's shoes. Put yourself in Timothy's shoes and think about all the things that Timothy was taught from Paul over the years. Think about the letters to Timothy alone. Uh, and I'm sure there's letters that Paul had wrote Timothy that, that are not in the Bible, that are not canon. Think about those intimate letters that he wrote him. Think about all the things that he taught him, the gospel, the doctrine of God, the local church, the end times. He taught him about church planning. He taught him about church discipline. He taught him about personal discipline. He taught him about so much. And Paul's drawing him to remember all these things that he taught him over the years. And so, like I said, in my heart, I I believe that Paul is calling Timothy back to remembering the one-on-one discipleship moments that they shared. He's calling him to remember each letter that was written between each other. And he's calling him to remember those sweet late night conversations that they shared as Paul watched Timothy flourish right before his eyes. Think about it. It's like raising your kid. Raising him up. Watching him grow up. Play little league baseball. Graduate into high school. Or, you know, graduate high school. Go to college. Marry a wife. It's like raising a son. So Paul's drawing Timothy back and reminding him that he has a job to do. He must pass the baton of faith to those that are behind him. And so looking again at verse 2, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these, these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So I want you to count, grab your Bible, and I want you to, I want you to write in chapter 2, verse 2, I want you to write right before, uh, right before it says the things that you heard from me, I want you to write Jesus somewhere in there, okay? 
So it's, and it's actually be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So you could just probably circle that because what we're going to do is we're going to count the generations in this one verse alone. So we have Jesus who taught Paul, right? So there's Jesus. Then you have Paul, who's, who's the second generation, who taught Timothy. That's the third generation, who will teach other faithful men. That's the fourth generation, who will teach others also. That's the fifth generation. And so we see that in just verse 2. The things that you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... And trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's a generation of discipleship. And this is discipleship at its finest. And this is, the, uh, this is part of our mission statement of Waymaker Baptist Church when we say that we exist to glorify God, equip the saints, and to make disciples who multiply. We want this generational discipleship to happen. And, and if what we do as a church does not fit into this one verse, what we're doing is wrong. So if we're not seeking to make disciples as Jesus made disciples, as Paul made disciples, then what we're doing is wrong and it's all in vain, right? If we're not making disciples. So I challenge you guys with that today. Who are you discipling? I'm challenging you guys with that today. Who are you under discipleship with? You're called to be faithful in discipleship. We're called to be faithful in discipleship. My discipleship looks from the pulpit to you guys as well. That's a part, a form of discipleship. There's one-on-one discipleship. There's group discipleship. There's coffee house discipleship with a smaller group of numbers. You know what I'm saying? There's discipleship on all levels. So who are you discipling? Who are you teaching the things of Christ to? So my first point was uh, being faithful in discipleship. And my second point is to faithfully endure. So as we read chapter 2, verse 3 through 7, we'll find why I, why I chose that as my point. Look at verse 3. Suffer hardship with me. Suffer hardship with me. That's, that's language that's missing from so much of American Christianity today. What, what does the American Christian want today? Health, wealth, and prosperity, right? They want everything to be good. Joel Osteen, T.D. Jakes, all those guys, they'll preach it. Health, wealth, and prosperity. If you sin, I'm not going to go there. So every, everybody thinks that you've got to have this, you live your best life now, and it's all going to be help, uh, happy, healthy, and well, and true. And that's, and that's not the case, because w- when we're called to be faithful, we're also called to suffer for the sake of the gospel, right? We're called, uh, being faithful to Jesus Christ absolutely will not come free. It will cost us something, which is why we look at it in Luke chapter 14, verse 27, when, when Jesus says, Who does not carry, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What is the cross a symbol of? It's death. Whoever does not die to their self, who is never not willing to die for me cannot be my disciple. It's plain, it's plain clear as day. And then you have Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 through 30. And I think Journey actually wrote it on the board the other day. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer. Also to suffer for his sake. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to suck sometimes. Experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So in this relay race of faith, as we pass the baton, we will suffer hardship. And I want you to think about Paul for a moment. Think about the life of hardship that he had. You can't tell me that God did not love Paul, right? But if we're going, if we look at it, if we look at Christianity through the lens of a, a, a lot of American prosperity gospel preachers, what we're going to see is people are going to say, well, he hated Paul because Paul had a very terrible life and he suffered a lot. Well, that's not true. God loved Paul and he went through a lot. We see that, that he ran the race. He passed the baton of the gospel and it landed him in a cold jail cell. It landed him chained up. It landed him with a death sentence over his head and it was soon to be executed. Think about the hardships that Paul endured so that you and I could hold this word of God in our hands and worship it uh, and worship almost 2,000 years 
uh, later today. You know, Paul was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was chained, starving, naked, stoned, cold, hungry, persecuted, all the things. He went through a lot. For what? For the sake of the elect. For the sake of the gospel. For Jesus Christ to be faithful. Many of us, if we didn't have padded chairs and, and AC or heat in this place, wouldn't meet in here. Which is why I'm, I'm super encouraged by the fact that the first time we had our first service on Sunday night, uh, we had that salamander heater going back there in the background with that propane tank. And it was all a construction site. We was all still in here, right? Like, that's beautiful to me. It's not about comfort or aesthetics or anything like that. We're here to worship the Lord. Amen. Amen. So he's faithfully, uh, he faithfully endured and he's calling Timothy to the same form of faithfulness. And let me just go ahead and say this, uh, go a step further, that Paul's also calling us to the same form of faithfulness, to the point of suffering, to the point of hardship. And, and like I said, I'm afraid as Americans, we think that we have made it. And to suffer is not in our vocabulary. So how can we endure as Americans? Well, we don't press into the mold of the world. We stand against everything that's, uh, that's unholy and unbiblical. So as Americans, how can we faithfully endure? And how can we suffer for the gospel? So we don't press into the mold of the world. We don't press into the... Uh, uh, I, I, I'm drawing a blank. The, uh, we don't press into the agendas of the world. Uh, we don't press into the American dream. We don't have to buy into those things, guys. We can, we can suffer for the sake of the gospel in various ways. So Paul gives us actually three examples on how to, uh, and three subpoints on how to faithfully endure found in the following verses. So he gives us the example of the soldier uh, in verse 4. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Ben, if I asked you a question, if, if you were uh, on active duty and you were somewhere, say, in Afghanistan, and you were concerned about the affairs of daily life so much, you were so caught up with what was going on back home, or so caught up in the affairs of everybody else around in the community, would you be being faithful to your commanding officer? It probably would get you hurt, right? You wouldn't be focused, you wouldn't be paying attention, it wouldn't be a good thing. So as Christians, we're in a war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. A good soldier stays focused on his or her orders and finishes the mission that's been assigned to them. They don't go home until that mission's done. So they're focused and they're actually willing to die for the mission. When Ben signed up in the military, when Amanda signed up in the military, they were willing to die for this mission, for America, for us, for the country. They're not distracted by the affairs of the world, not by Facebook, not by video games, not by the American dream or the carrot that's dangling before them. No, they absolutely sharpen their sword. They put on the whole armor of God. They train in combat and they fight for their life. That's what the soldier of Christ does. A good soldier pleases his or her commanding officer and stands at attention. The faithful soldier of Christ says this, that, uh, and we're teaching our kids this. I'm in the Lord's army. Enlisted by Christ, signed in blood, and, and giving glory to God. And then the second example that he gives us in verse 5 the athlete. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Just as, uh, just as there are rules to any sporting event, there are rules in this relay race of Christianity. So no reward will be given to, uh, to the one who climbs over the sheepfold instead of coming through the door, who is, who is uh, Jesus Christ. No reward will be given to that person. And, and as we talk about the athlete, we think about this person who was um, a college swimmer, who's actually a man, 
okay? And he swam with a ladies' division. He was 460th or something. And, and instead, he went through this process of trying to become a woman and, and defiling what God has, has claimed as genders. And he, and he swam, and he beat the ladies, and, and they called him, I'm going to call him him. He, they called him a winner, but really what happened was he broke the, law, the rules because he's a man swimming in a women's event. He's not competing according to the rules. He's a liar. He's a fraud. He's a phony. In his place, the first place, victory is no victory at all. It's a fraud. So no reward will be given to those who walk the broad path and enter the broad gate. For what does it say? Straight is the way. Narrow is the gate. Jesus is that gate. Jesus is that door. So only those who enter by the narrow gate, through the door, walking in the way, the truth and the life, is the only way to be crowned at the end of this race. So we have to be born again. In order to compete according to the rules to run this race, we have to be born again. We must believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's the only way to win this race, to be crowned at the end. There's no other way. Dalai Lama, Hinduism, um, Islam, Mary, any of the other saints, they can't get you there. So if we truly believe that we will walk, uh, if we truly believe that we will walk out a life in accordance with his word, we will make disciples, we'll evangelize, we'll stand against sin, we'll be holy and we'll meditate on his word. We'll compete according to the rules, what God desires us to do. So if we're not doing these things and we're calling ourselves Christians, should we expect to be rewarded at the end of this race? If we're not reading, if we're not praying, if we're not evangelizing, if we're not discipling, if we're not being faithful with the gospel, should we expect to be rewarded? No. I don't think so. So there's no performing, performance enhancing drugs to inject ourselves with to make us fit enough to win, this, to win this race. There's no shortcuts. The only way to receive the prize is to practice, to train, to submit to the rules, to run according to the commands of Christ, to repent and believe. And the third example that he gives us of uh, somebody who faithfully endures is the hardworking farmer. Has anybody in here ever worked on a ranch or worked on a farm? Anybody in here ever grew up there, right? You know, it's, it's hard work, right? It's not easy. When I moved from Washington State to Missouri, I had the, my, my family had a foxtrotter farm, a Missouri foxtrotter farm, the best horses ever. I don't care what you say. And, 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 uh, and, and I was raised on that farm from 14 up, and I had to clean manure. I had to clean stalls. I had to lead horses. I had to ride horses all before we went to work, all before we went to school as boys. You know what I mean? And it was hard work. It was good work. Verse 6, a hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. So is anyone in here, I already asked you that, 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 you know, as working on the farm and working on a ranch from sun up to sun down, the farmer tills the soil. He plants the seeds. He digs the ditches. He irrigates the land. He prays for rain. They sweat. They bleed. They get dirty. They, get, they kick the dirt all for just a little bit of harvest to get them through to the next year. They work for the short period of time through harvest just to get them through to the very next year. We're called to the same faithfulness. To go out there and kick the dirt and dig the ditches and plant the seeds and water the ground. Work hard for just a little bit of harvest. We must rise every morning and till the ground of our own hearts through prayer. Asking God to soften the soil just enough for the seeds of his word to be planted and to be watered through the reading and devotion of the Bible. We also scatter seed and water the seed of the gospel everywhere we go and every chance that we get. Whether we're leaving this church and we're going out to eat, out to lunch, are you sharing the gospel with your waiter or your waitress? Are you being a farmer? Because that's what we're called to be. We don't give the increase. God gives the increase, right? All we do is scatter seeds and water the seed. 
God will do the rest. So are you scattering seed everywhere you're going? Your life should be a living, walking, breathing testimony of Christ. Everybody we come in contact with should know that we're a Christian, to the most part, you know? And it's only then that we'll receive a share of the harvest of the crop. Only then, after we have toiled and labored and sweat and bled, that we'll receive our reward. So I have a question. How are you faithfully enduring? Are you setting down the phone? Are you fighting as a soldier of Christ for truth? Are you running according to the rules? Or are you hoping your shortcuts and performance-enhancing language is enough to get you a prize? Many of us can say the right words. Many of us think we uh, think that we got people fooled, right? But you ain't got God fooled. Absolutely. Are you breaking your back, farming the fields of the harvest? Or are you expecting to receive a share of the crop while you lay lazy? The first prayer that we prayed the other night when we opened up our all-night prayer meeting was that God, or the third prayer, was that God would give us a hunger for His Word. While I was in prison, I had nothing else to consume me. All I had was God. And I read His Word, and I prayed, and I bowed before Him. And, and all I had time to do was read this and write commentary and devote myself to it fully. And when I got out in society, I had to get a job. I got married. I had things that started to consume my life. And I realized that the time that I had for the Lord and, and my devotion and prayer time was slowly getting stolen away from me. And so my prayer was that, God, you would, you would place back in me a desire like I had while I was in prison. A sweet moment of time with you like I had while I was in prison when I was reading the Bible and I was praying and I was devoted fully to you. Pray the same things for your life. Don't let anybody steal your time. Whether it be your kids or your job or your spouse, don't let anybody steal your time with the Lord. Amen. You take it and you use it. It'll bless you. And my third point is to faithfully remember. And so what are we to faithfully remember? Well, we read verse 8 and 9 here in chapter 2. You get there. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even... Suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. We faithfully, we faithfully remember that the gospel is not about you. It's not about me. Who's it all about? Jesus. It's all about Jesus, right? The gospel is the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin. He left his throne on heaven. He was born of the virgin. And, and he, he came to earth. He was perfectly sinless. He was obedient to the Father. He died a death he did not deserve in our place. And he rose again after three days. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and he's coming back. That's the gospel. We have no part in there except for the sin that we bring to the table. That's it. It's not about me. It's not about you. So when somebody tries to tell you the gospel and they start to share their testimony with you, that's not the gospel. It's a beautiful thing that the gospel worked in your life to bring you to salvation. But your testimony is not the gospel. The gospel is the fact that Jesus, God, left his throne and became a human to die on the cross for us, for our sin. And he rose again. He ascended after three days. He rose again and he's coming back. So Paul tells Timothy to remember that Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, was raised from the dead. It's something that we hear all the time. It's something that we kind of become callous to, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? How many of you guys in here know that Easter is about Jesus being resurrected? Did any of y'all think that it was about Easter bunnies? Look, I was 16 years old before I finally realized what Easter was all about. And no idea that it was about Jesus. I didn't even know who Jesus was at that point. No idea that it was about Jesus, that he had rose again from the grave. And it's something we talk about so much that we become callous to. It's, it's some of that biblical language like Drew was talking to me about the other day, like faith and hope and love. Those are so strong, important tools that we 
But yet we become so callous to those words that we just kind of they lose their weight, right? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. If I died right now, I'm not going to be resurrected. And we, you guys might come and you would think there's no more hope left in him. He's dead. The life is out of him. No, there was hope in that borrowed tomb. It was borrowed because Jesus Christ did not stay there. He left and he ascended, right? After three days, he rose again. It's important because without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there would be no Christianity. Amen. Without the resurrection, as the, cent- the resurrection is the central truth of what we believe and the hope in which we share as Christians. Without the resurrection of Christ, there would be no resurrection of you and me. And our hope that we had of going to an eternal heaven, if we believe in Christ, would be null and void. It'd be worthless if Christ did not resurrect from the dead. But we know that Christ is not a liar, right? And we know that God's word will not return to him void. God affirmed the redeeming work of Christ through the resurrection of Christ. God affirmed the entire ministry of Christ through this one moment in history. Everything that that he ever done, one moment of raising Christ from the dead, validated everything that he ever done. So Paul goes on to say, That it is for this message, this message of Jesus Christ resurrected, that I am chained up and I am in prison. So why was Paul in prison for the gospel? One, because it is true. And two, because it's not all about him, it's all about Christ. So the message of the gospel was about Paul. Would he go to the lengths that he went through? If the message of of, of the gospel was... uh, What's about Paul? Would he be shipwrecked and beaten and imprisoned and going to die for it? You think he would flake out right away, right? Okay, this thing is a lie. I'm not going to go through that. No, he went through because it's true and it's not about him. So Paul faithfully remembered the message of the resurrection, the gospel of Jesus Christ, even to the point of chains. And guys, I ask you this. Are you willing to go to that length? We need to be there as well. Amen. We need to be there as well. So look at the end of verse nine. But the word of God is not in prison. Paul might have been in chains, but the word of God was not. Amen. What did Paul do while he was in prison? They would bring him the guards to keep him company while he was under house arrest. And you know what he was doing? He was converting them. Go ahead, send me another one. I'll convert him too. Go ahead, send me another one. He's about to know the Lord. You know what I'm saying? And the same with William Tyndale. You know what they would do? Uh, when, when, he was, when he was getting ready to face death, and William Tyndale, for the sake of the gospel, was strangled burn alive and blown up all at the same time. That's how much the Roman Catholic Church hated Protestantism, hated the, hated the Bible, hated God. They were willing to go to that length for the preacher. And, and look, so he's, he stood there uh, before he went to the stake. He, the keeper, the keeper's daughter, and then the guards who would come and, and watch him, he converted every single one of them. And you know what he asked for? He asked for a lamp, a coat, and the Hebrew Scriptures so he could continue to work on his translating work. We have the Tyndale Bible Company now, right? The Tyndale Translators because of a man like that. Beautiful. He, goes to, he went to such great lengths. And, and, I, and I want you guys to know that we should go to those lengths as well. So, and and, and it's, it's not been in chains. So even when you are in prison, when the preacher is in prison and the preacher is in chains, the word of God is not. You still got a ministry even there behind bars. And even while he is gone, the word continues to spread around the world, right? It's not stopping because of one preacher. No, it continues to go. So over the centuries, people and Satan have tried to do away with God's word. I mean, you name it. They've, they've tried to burn it, destroy it, bury it. But you know what? It always survives. 
It ain't going nowhere. Why? Because God is not bound. God's word is not bound. His word cannot be chained. It's alive and it's far more powerful than any demonic power or any human authority. Even in prison, Paul preached the word. And, And if they ever chain us up, I hope that we'll preach too. So no matter the situation or the circumstance that we find ourselves in, always remember remember this, that the word of God is unstoppable and it's unbeatable. It cannot be silenced and it cannot be bound. Have hope in that. They've tried to burn it, bury it, get rid of it. Every other book that they would try to do that, do that with over the centuries would be destroyed. You'd never be able to find it. He's preserved his word through the centuries. That's living, walking proof right there that God is real and his word is alive. Let me give you a recap. My first point was this, to be faithful in discipleship. If you have a pen, write it down. Be faithful in discipleship. My second point was this, faithfully endure. My third point, to faithfully remember. And now our last point, be faithful in evangelism. Look at verse 10 with me, guys. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Can anybody be saved apart from hearing the gospel? Look, the, the Bible says this, that from before the foundations of the world, God, God is, is um, before time and eternity and all those things. Before the foundations of the world, he has elected people to be saved, but there's still a process that they have to go through to be saved. They have to hear the word of God. They have to be saved. They have to hear it and believe. God isn't going to make them believe. They have to believe. So if anybody, if, so if nobody goes forth and shares the gospel, if nobody faithfully endures in evangelism, how can anyone be saved? And so I always go back to this verse, and I think it's very cool, and I learned this from, a, from an old preacher, but Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15 says this. Uh, they call on, it says that, uh, man, let me go there so I don't mess this up. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? How will they hear unless they preach? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Let's walk this backwards. How do you have, how do you have beautiful feet? You were sent. Why are you sent to preach? Why do you preach so that somebody might believe? Why would they believe or so, much, so somebody might hear? Why would they hear so they might believe? Why would they believe so they could call on Him? They could be saved. That's the order, the process of which God has ordained for people to be saved is through the proclamation of His Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Nobody is ever saved apart from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's only through Christ. It's only through His Word that people are saved. So we have to be faithful in evangelism. We must share the gospel for the sake of the elect of God. So they'll be saved and they'll share the eternal glory that he has stored up in heaven for them. So do not be a frozen, chosen, staunch Christian. Do not let the gospel die with you. Pass the baton. Finish the race. Preach the word. Go forth to all the nations. Evangelizing, discipling, and baptizing. Go. Don't wait on us. Go. Remember this faithful saying that Paul left with Timothy, and we'll get ready to close. Verse 11, for if we died with him, we'll also live with him. Verse 12, if we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. And verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And we'll get to this part here in verse 13, but in case I forget, verse 13, many people say this. 
We're not faithless. He's faithful. He's got me. That's wrong. That's not what this that's not what this text is saying. What it is saying is this: that if you're faithless, He will be faithful and judge you. If you don't have faith in Christ, if you think that you got it all figured out, you're putting your trust in something else. He is a faithful, just, holy God, and He will judge you and send you to an eternal hell. It's not saying, "Oh, we're faithless. He's faithful." He does pick up the slack. Yes, He is God, but that's not what that verse is saying. So don't misuse it. So we got to ask ourselves, have we truly died with Christ? Are we faithfully enduring? Will we find ourselves on the last day entangled in the affairs of this world as a terrible soldier? Will we find ourselves full of performance-enhancing lies, cheating as an athlete? Or will we get real with the gospel? Will we get real with God? Are we, are we following on the coattails of our parents? Are we following on the coattails of those before us? When's it going to become real to you? Will you be found as a lazy farmer expecting a share of the harvest that you never worked for? How unreal is that? Give me my portion. Well, you never worked for it. And the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. God cannot deny himself, as I said earlier. He must judge sin. So if we deny Christ, he will deny us and judge us accordingly, casting us into the lake of fire that was made for the devil and his angels. But if we died with him, we'll live. If we endure with him, we'll reign. And when the roll is called up yonder, I'm going to be there. So are you going to join me there today? Or are you going to sit and tarry a little while longer? So I ask you guys this. I tell you guys this to sell out for the gospel. What do you got to lose? Nothing. Be faithful to the call of God. Lay down your life before him that you may live and be a co-heir with Christ. You can reign with Jesus Christ, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. You can reign with him. He died so that we may live. So please don't leave here today without knowing that. And again, in case you guys missed it, know this, that Jesus Christ, who is God, stepped off his throne in heaven, was born of a virgin, humbled himself to walk in this ground in the flesh. He knew no sin. He lived a perfect life, something that none of us could ever do. He died on the cross for our place. He was beaten and stabbed and punched and whipped crown of thorns on his head. Like I said, he died on that cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And after three days, he rose again. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and he's coming back again, guys. And here's the thing. Here's our part. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that, that, that this Jesus that I just told you about, that God raised him from the dead, we can't be saved. It's the ticket. So I pray that God will be moving in your heart to make that prayer, to make that confession today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. Again, for your word. And, and Father, we just, we just ask that you would move in the hearts of the hearers, um, that they wouldn't retain anything that I said, but it, they would just retain this Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. And that would be enough, God. I pray for you to work in their hearts. Uh, and I pray, God, that they'd be faithful with the gospel. They'd be faithful um, in discipleship. That they would, be, they would faithfully endure. Oh, God, I pray for these people, my people. God, would you work in their hearts today? It's in Christ's name, amen. Amen.